You are listening to a podcast from West Hill United Church located in Scarborough, Ontario, Canada. These podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our listeners, volunteers, and members of our community. To donate, go to our website, www.westhill.net, and click on the Canada Helps button, or go to www.westhill.net forward slash donate. We wish to acknowledge that we are on the traditional territory of the Mississaugas of the new credit First Nations lands previously occupied by the Seneca and Huron Wandat First Nations. Welcome, everyone. My name is Ann Jackson. It's my pleasure to welcome you to West Hill on this beautiful Sunday morning. Good morning, everybody. I'm John DePetty. Hopefully, out in the lobby when you came in this morning, you saw a poster and it talked about the global climate strike. And I just wanted to spend just a minute or two to let you know what that's all about. And I'm going to read from uh, some words that were put together to try and help people understand what this is about and why they should go. Our house is on fire. The climate crisis is an emergency, but many are not acting like it is. Our hotter planet is already hurting millions of people. If we don't act now to transition fairly and swiftly away from, away from fossil fuels to 100% renewable energy access for all, the injustice of the climate crisis will only get worse. But it's going to take all of us working together to succeed. Join the climate strikes. They start on September the 20th, that's next Friday. Uh, and that's actually three days out from the UN's Climate Emergency Summit that's taking place on the 27th. Uh, millions of us will walk, I know, uh, I'll talk a bit about it in a second, um, will walk from home, work, school, university to declare a climate emergency and show our politicians what action in line with climate science and justice means. The climate crisis won't wait, so neither should we. And here's the question I'm sure a lot of people ask, what difference will it make about going to a demonstration? These climate strikes absolutely won't solve the climate crisis alone. But this is a moment. And what this moment can do is demonstrate that people are no longer willing to continue with business as usual. The urgency of the climate crisis requires a new approach and a just response to center, centered on human rights, equity, and justice. Greta, the other Greta, Greta Thunberg, her lone protest caught the world's attention last year, and it has spread to millions of school children who are sounding the alarm. Isn't that absolutely, it's absolutely wonderful that it's coming from our youth but I also sit here in a congregation of not so youthful and feel somewhat complicit. These are young people who are helping us figure out what to do. 
Now it's everyone's truth. It's our truth to stand with these young people and show the leaders of the world the people power demanding climate justice. September's climate strikes will kickstart a huge wave of action and renewed ambition all over the world. On the poster outside, you'll see that there are, I've listed four climate strike events that are taking place. Uh, I was talking to a few people this morning and I was swamming because uh, I live in Ajax and there are three events that are taking place in Durham. One in Ajax, one in um, Whitby, and one in Oshawa, and they all take place next Friday. Uh, and the, the largest one that will take place will be in Toronto proper down at Queen's Park, and that takes place the following Friday on the 27th. So if at all possible, please join. I know that I'll be at the one in Ajax. I know that Jim, I've recruited him. Well, I haven't recruited him. He asked me if I was going. So uh, Jim will be there. So I would encourage you all, if you have an hour or a minute or a little bit of time, to get out and raise awareness around this most important issue. I'd encourage you to do that. Thank you very much. Uh, I am the last uh, person to speak in terms of announcements. Uh, I spoke last week about Gulalai Ismail, who is one of Pakistan's best-known women's rights crusaders, speaking out about forced marriages, gang rapes, and crushed dreams. Her groundbreaking work has carried her around the world, winning her audiences and awards with awards and audiences with high-powered women such as Michelle Obama and Queen Elizabeth II. She's now on the run, in hiding, uh, moving from house to house uh, under uh, cover so that she's not found uh, by those um, by those in those who are looking for her in the Pakistani authorities. Um, I'm just, sorry, just trying to read to you the statement that was sent on your behalf in support of uh, Gulalai's work. My apologies, sorry. Uh, Within our guiding documents, West Hill United Church acknowledges the fallibility of all religious beliefs and social conventions and the right of individuals to be protected from the violent imposition of them. Quote, we regard all explanations of life and historical claims as human and so fallible, understanding that all ideas are formed in particular historical, cultural, and personal contexts. We respect individual differences insofar as they are not harmful or respectful of others. That's from our Vision Works document. Ms. Galila's work has the power to release millions of women from degradation and humiliation so that they might be active participants in society. As a community that celebrates the full rights of women in society, we urge the release of Ms. Galila and the protection of all women and girls in Pakistan. Um, we were invited to participate in this uh, statement that was going to our governments, uh, governmental rep- representatives across the country, uh, in order to um, express our concern. And our concern has been, as you know, we have sponsored a refugee family uh, because of freedom of expression, uh, discrimination in Bangladesh. Uh, I identified as an atheist in order to be in solidarity with Bangladeshi bloggers long before I had ever met any, but Ryan, Raihan Abir and Shobak Paki have now become very close to us 
and our work continues now as we spread our concern to Pakistan as well. Thank you. Imagine when we lived in villages and the only news we would hear about any other village, town, city, country would be the stagecoach. And then imagine before that when we wouldn't even have that and we lived in isolated places on the planet and we didn't know. And every time I come here, I know more about this world. It is enormous and the problems are enormous. And when we, in our vision works, document when we took that stand to not ground ourselves in something isolated or something specifically oriented to a certain group of people a certain religion or whatever when we said let's ground ourselves in life the world got much bigger for all of us and so that interconnectedness um, it doesn't show us how to live it just shows that, that that's what we're living with the next step we took was how should we live and to keep answering that with justly and compassionately, kindly and with integrity and gathering together and reading what we read and sharing what we share to get wiser about it. Uh, so I'm just going to play a little introduction to the sharing song, which is uh, another rooting into how we live. There are three readings this morning. They're beauties. First one is from Douglas Adams, The Salmon of Doubt, Hitchhiking the Galaxy, One Last Time. The fact that we live at the bottom of a deep gravity well on the surface of a gas-covered planet going around a nuclear fireball 90 million miles away and think this to be normal is obviously some indication of how skewed our perspective tends to be. The next one is by C. Joybell C. Period. The only way that we can live is if we grow. The only way that we can grow is if we change. The only way that we can change is if we learn. The only way that we can learn is if we are exposed. And the only way that we can become exposed is if we throw ourselves out into the open. Do it. Throw yourself. And the third reading is from Henry David Thoreau. Let us settle ourselves and work and wedge our feet downwards through the mud and slush of opinion and tradition and pride and prejudice appearance and delusion through the alluvium which covers the globe through the poetry and philosophy and religion through the church and state through Paris and London through New York and Boston and Concord till we come to a hard bottom that rocks in place which we can call reality and say this is and no mistake May we walk in its light, offered for wisdom in the journey. Uh, 
as John reminded us, we were uh, together, many of us, at a congregational meeting on Tuesday night, which was a challenge, uh, which was hard. Uh, and so I um, just decided on Wednesday, which is when I start putting my perspective together, that I would my perspective would be about perspectives, uh, because we were bringing a number of different perspectives together on Tuesday evening. Um, and by the time I actually sat down and started working with it, I regretted having done that. Um, but we're going to talk about perspectives anyways, and hopefully we will have some light moments in the midst of it. Uh, the focus moment, however, um, is from January of this year, uh, and I chose it because it addresses that particular issue. Unprecedented. Every moment that has ever been, every moment that will ever be, even this moment in which we stand, is unprecedented. There is no set direction it must claim, a momentary brick fixed upon a path, curved toward a known tomorrow. No history, though persuasive, binds any moment to a once-told tale. No universal music relies upon it playing out a single perfect note. We are free. In this unprecedented moment, we can choose from the million, million, myriad possibilities, the infinite, infinite probabilities and improbabilities, and yes, from the handful of most likely to succeed, and make our own future. Indeed, the future is counting upon our choice. May our choice come from a gathering place filled with wisdom, pour from hearts strengthened by communal courage, find illumination in the uplifting of all that is beautiful and good, and may each unprecedented moment lead us from truth ever onward toward truth.
I'm going to start here just because of the number of pieces of paper I'm going to be controlling in the next moment. Uh, the readings today, the first reading uh, from Douglas Adams must have uh, rung true for you, Frank, because they're talking. he's talking about this little um, body of next to nothing compared with the infinite uh, size of the universe in which we spiral, and that, uh, that we seem to think that this is normal, uh, is one of Douglas Adams' um, clarity of vision that he shared with us through his humor. Um, he identified himself as a radical atheist um, used because he thought that if he used the term radical in front of atheists, that people would stop assuming that he was really an agnostic. Uh, and at one point, he used this little story about a puddle to demonstrate uh, what he thought belief in God was like. Um, and at, the, at that moment, the puddle suddenly becomes self-aware, right? So it becomes self-aware, and then it says, this is an interesting world I find myself in. An interesting hole I find myself in fits me rather neatly, doesn't it? In fact, it fits me staggeringly well. Must have been made to have me in it. Which is one of his clear ways of poking fun at things. He spent uh, his life writing uh, humor, uh, for, wrote some for uh, Monty Python, uh, and was one of only two writers that was ever privileged to write content for them. Uh, wrote The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, first in serial on the BBC, and worked at his craft. That book, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, has sold, I think it's 50 million copies or something, uh, which is huge. And, uh, and he died at the age of 49, uh, far too early. Um, Dawkins dedicated the God delusion to him and wrote uh, on his death that science has lost a friend, literature has lost a luminary, the mountain gorilla and the black rhino have lost a gallant defender. If any of you have, have seen Last Chance to See, uh, Douglas Adams took a trip with the documentary producer to see animals and, and ecosystems that were in peril. Uh, and then it was done, uh, I think it was 20 years later or something, Stephen Fry did exactly the same uh, tour going back to see uh, those things. So he was, he was known for his humor and for the quirkiness of of things like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which when he reads it on tape, uh, puts me to sleep within moments. It's remarkable. I think it's his, his, um, his accent, maybe, I don't know. Um, but comedy, uh, what does comedy come from? Can anyone say just off the bat, what, what creates something funny? Irony? Yeah, okay. Conflict? You knew that was the title of the, yeah. It's your perspective. I mean, humor comes. We start laughing when someone opens our eyes to another way of seeing things. So I have a few things here. Scott, um, Scott and I were uh, in one of those pop-up calendar stores shortly before Christmas, and we were looking at some of them, and I laughed at one, the stuff on the back, so much that Scott bought me the calendar for Christmas. And so we have been going through this, and there's been an awful lot, huge guffaws. There's also been the staring at it for a very long time until we got the perspective that was being offered. So I have a few of them here. You can come and look at them later, but they are to go home with me. So, uh, but I'm not going to read the you know, 15 that I picked out here. But one, question. These are signs that someone puts on his front lawn. 
right? So, you know, you're just driving by and you see this. Question, why do we park in driveways and drive on parkways? I love this one. Scott didn't get it. Surely not everyone was kung fu fighting. (laughs) Clearly he was just singing hymns in his childhood. Um, Wendy, please take me back. I'm wearing the shirts with buttons now. I think it's a good look on me. Artificial intelligence is no match for natural stupidity. List found in shopping cart. Beer, chips, that kind of stuff. Your soulmate is out there. (laughs) Okay. Procrastination. The art of keeping up with yesterday. A good fake mustache is hard to pull off. And my personal favorite, which I didn't bring because I knew someone would take it home with you, uh, is uh, mansplaining. Y'all know what mansplaining is? Mansplaining. The art of correctile dysfunction. (laughs) So they're up there for you to look at. But Douglas Adams uh, and his humor helps us see that we can laugh at ourselves and sometimes um, have a pretty good time doing it. So now I think I've put this mic on. I have this mic on. Thank you. So, perspective. Perspective on Tuesday uh, came at us from all over the map. The perspectives that came into that room to have that very difficult conversation uh, came with their own personal histories of this place their own uh, idea of what the future of this place would look like, their own stories uh, that rooted them here and that were expressed uh, either through the telling of those stories or the response to other people's stories. We could see what was important and what was intentional and what was helpful and and what people felt they could put into the space. For those of you who weren't here, uh, on Tuesday we met because the congregation, uh, our bank accounts, uh, allow us four and a half months of uh, our a lifespan until we're going to have to close our doors. Uh, and so we came together to determine what we would do about that. Uh, that gave me such a dry mouth, I have to um, swallow some water. And, and we, we came with the idea of how we would talk about that. We knew that at some point there would probably be a motion put forward. Um, and if the motion put forward was we should stay in that place, we, we were going to say, well, that's not actually a motion because it doesn't, there's no action required there, so we don't have to put that action. That, got, that was off, um, off the top. Uh, the motion that would have, in comparison with that one, required a motion was that we sell the property. So we ended up coming at the conversation a little bit bluntly uh, with the details about how we were going to run the meeting rather than with information about what we were expecting from the meeting, which is how it sounded. So the meeting got off to a a discombobulated start, uh, but that might almost have been a good thing because it allowed people to speak honestly about the places where they hurt in in relation to this conversation, about the places where uh, they felt there needed to be growth, uh, either in the congregation or in the hearts of those others who were gathered in the room and in the places where they themselves needed to grow in understanding. Uh, it, it became apparent that there was a lot of information that needed to be shared more widely and more deeply so that people could understand exactly where we were. 
And so the conversation uh, that took place was a challenging one. And, and the next day, I'm sure that a lot of people who went home were still kind of trying to get their heads around exactly uh, what went on and where we were now uh, and whether we would be in the same place uh, in four and a half times, in, in four and a half months, not in terms of space, but in our heads. Like, were we going to be exploring this in a way that shifted and challenged us to see things differently or not? Uh, what didn't really happen a whole lot on Tuesday night was what Douglas Adams was really good at. We didn't laugh at ourselves uh, very much. And I think had we had a great opportunity to do that, uh, we may have gone away feeling a little less uh, back in our shells uh, than I think that we were. I certainly felt that I was back in my shell a little bit uh, when we left here, and I'm sure that some of you who are here also felt that way. Um, but. There, is, there are ways that we uh, can talk to each other following Tuesday that can be helpful. And there are ways that we can talk to each other coming out of Tuesday that won't be helpful, uh, that will just be a problem. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that one, uh, about how we figure out what to talk about and how to have that conversation with each other. Uh, and Henry David Thoreau's uh, work, uh, the reading that Anne shared, um, tells us to, you know, stand on the ground and then start squishing our feet around. And you don't stop squishing your feet around till you get right down to rock bottom, right? And then you can say, okay, that is true. Everything else is kind of squishy stuff that, you know, as long as you're standing on it, you can be moving around. So in our conversations, we need to do that squishy work of getting right down to rock bottom. So what does that look like? Well, there's this ladder thing that I call the ladder of atrocious mistakes um, or atrocious conversations. It's uh, technically known as the ladder of inference. I'm sure many of you know about the ladder of inference. It's about when we're up at the top and we're making decisions, we're trying to make a decision at the top of the ladder. Um, if we're at the top of the ladder when we start making the decision, we're in trouble. We need to actually start at the bottom of the ladder because we work our way up the ladder by assuming certain things and then believing that our assumptions are true and then making decisions based on those. So I'm going to run you through the, the rungs on the ladder. Did I say run you through? That's probably not helpful. I want to take you through the rungs on the ladder. I'm not trying to ring you out. Anyway, so the bottom of the ladder of any conversation, that solid rock that you stand upon is what? What do you have to have before you have any serious conversation that's going to end up in anything other than an atrocious conversation? The facts. The facts, right? We need the facts. We shared some facts on Tuesday. Uh, we uh, were brought some other facts and information with us. Uh, so the facts that we had on Tuesday that we brought uh, gave that perspective of we've got, you know, four and a half months until we have to declare bankruptcy. Uh, or maybe we're already bankrupt, we don't know. Um, but we also had conversations about uh, the, there are some dedicated funds and could we access that money? Didn't have that fact hadn't figured that out, hadn't asked those questions. So that fact was missing, which meant that we were giving, you know, privileged time and energy to the single fact that we're going to be closing in four and a half months, right, if we don't do something drastic. So looking back on it, even as someone who brought that information to the conversation, I had not done all the work. Um, Mike hadn't done all the work, the board hadn't done all the work to figure out exactly what that ground, we hadn't squished down to the complete bottom of that rock. 
Now, those of you who aren't normally here, uh, aren't regularly part of our conversation and are not interested at all whether we're open in four and a half months or not, um, you can use that in your, in your working life, in your family conversations, anywhere you are, right? Start assuming that when you get there that all the facts are not on the table and explore what are some of the other facts that we need to get straight before we can actually have this conversation. I might actually still be talking with my siblings if we've done some of that, but um, nevertheless, moving on. Uh, so getting all of those facts together is important, and it was when we were in a group when we were working as, as a group at large, that we exposed some more of those facts. So you're likely not in possession of all the facts when it comes to making a decision about something. You have to ask the other people who are involved. What, would, what else, what do we not know here? What, else, what other information do we need, right? And once you've got all of that, you're good. Unless, you assume that some facts are more relevant than others, and so you dismiss facts that are brought from other people. Uh, you can be up at that top of the ladder making decisions based on uh, facts as you see them uh, that aren't complete because you haven't bothered to ask other people or you haven't thought it was important to ask other people. Uh, we may have had a bigger, uh, a better set of facts if the board had had an opportunity to meet before the congregational meeting, and we hadn't done that. We hadn't got together before that meeting on Tuesday since last June. So if we'd got together and really pushed our way through, what does that mean? Because the information that we had uh, had changed from the last time we were together in June. And that information was that we were not given permission to sell the property. And at the end of June, it became apparent, well, we'd be willing to hear that. You might be able to sell the property. Totally new information, but we hadn't got together since that new information had arrived, and we had not been able to get together before the meeting because we had put the meeting so early in the year so that we could have the conversation, that we ended up choosing information that was important to us but without finding out all of the information. So we got up there to the decisions with only a few little pieces of information there. Once you have the information, though, if you're choosing it, as we had done, you've selected the information. Now, we didn't select it. We just didn't know. We didn't think about the other stuff that was there. We didn't say, oh, let's not talk about that. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We didn't have, we hadn't thought about asking permission to have that uh, information, have those funds released. And by contacting those people who had put the restrictions on those funds to make them released. I mean, to get them released. So once you have the information, you get to interpret what it means. So what was the interpretation of the information that we had? We're going to go bankrupt in four and a half months, right? That was the interpretation of the, of the information. We have enough money to cover our $3,900 a month um, overdraft every month for four and a half months. That was the interpretation based on a, the, an incomplete set of facts, right? So if we had had all the facts in front of us, we may not have said, okay, we're going to be closed in four and a half months. We might have said, well, we've got about two years to really figure this out, right? Or one and a half, or four and a half, depending upon what the individuals that had given us the money uh, with restricted purposes were going to say we could do with that money. If they said we could use it for something else, Game on. If we're not allowed to use it for something else, oops, we're back to four and a half months. So we're trying to find that out before four and a half months go by to get that information, and we've already started doing that. And that's that. We selected the information, we interpreted it, and we drew the conclusions, right? I 
I mixed interpretations and conclusions uh, together. My apologies. Um, and then we develop beliefs based on those conclusions. So we've concluded that we're going to be bankrupt in four and a half months. So we're either going to close our doors or we have to sell the building and move somewhere else, right? And that was the conversation that we brought to you. Are we going to sell the building or are we going to move? Are we going to stay in the building or are we going to sell the building and move somewhere else? And that triggered all kinds of responses because of the stories that are wedded to this place, that grew out of this place, that found their their uh, first word in this place. The stories that the bedrock, if they get down to, are, but this is my home, or but this is where my children were baptized, or but this is where I was married, or this is where my partner's funeral was held. Like we forgot that there are truths underneath that mucky stuff that we don't share. They belong to individuals and individual hearts. And so we need to bring those truths to the, to the open as well and into the conversation so that we can engage them with compassion, with the ways that we choose to be together, with the ways that we talk about this place, uh, with integrity and with courage and with love. And so we had some of those stories here, but other stories were missing and maybe even felt silenced that they weren't welcome in this place on Tuesday night. We need to find a way to share those stories and get them back into the conversation as we try to make decisions. And then uh, we take action. We didn't take action on Tuesday, and some of us left frustrated that we're still we're in the same place we were before, uh, wanting that decision to have been made so we at least knew what to speak about on Sunday morning. Oops, that was my impression. But we hadn't done anything. We haven't made any decisions, right? We ha- I'm feeling like we're kind of at a loss here, right? No, wrong. We're not at a loss here. We still have ideas and, and commentary that has yet to be shared. We still have those stories that have yet to be woven into the possibility of a pathway to the future, right? When we lay them all down side by side, how do we find our way to the future with integrity that addresses the stories that people have have grounded and rooted in this place. How do we find our way forward with that? If we live in a world where decisions are made based on just a partial set of of facts, uh, a a meager amount of information, uh, anything that's not comprehensive, then we end up in a vicious cycle of misunderstanding. And we can also end up in a vicious cycle of anger and resentment uh, because what we, what we wanted to bring wasn't heard or because I told them what they were supposed to do and they didn't do it or whatever it may be, whether it's in your family, in your workplace, uh, in a place like this, your, you know, wherever. If we make our decisions based on just little pieces, then the ladder is not going to stand up straight and those decisions are going to be off kilter and they could be tragic in the long run. Uh, Christopher DiCarlo has spoken here a couple of times, but uh, when he was here, I imagine he was just speaking as I'm speaking. But I've seen him speak where he is bringing um, his uh, perspective of how we should talk to one another into the conversation. And every time I've seen him do it, the person that he has been talking with has ended up yelling and, and swearing at him uh, because they are so frustrated 
uh, by his uh, perspective, by what he is, by the way he is when he's challenging that person's perspective. His book, uh, How to Be a Real Pain in the Ass, is in the library if anybody wants to borrow it. Uh, and and it, he's the person that should write that book, let me tell you. Christopher is a, an atheist um, and uh, is a student of the Socratic method. And he allows uh, groups to get to a place of equanimity because he brings it himself, right? He brings that balanced approach that, that invites not reactions or responses, but inquiry and curiosity. When someone says, you know, I, I believe this or this is what we're supposed to do, instead of saying, absolutely not, we are not doing that over my dead body, if we say, why? Or, how did you get to that idea? And the person responds, and it still makes no sense, and you say, why? How did you get to that idea again? Uh, it's about four times before the person starts yelling. But if the person is really engaged, and we're trying to get to a place where we can have a decent conversation, where we can make decisions that are right for the time and the place and the group, then those questions, why? How did you get there? How did you think that through? What does it mean to you? That place of inquiry that leads to a, a space of equanimity where we're not invested in a, a tiny little bit of the facts. We're invested in how we are together as a community. And we want to find that out. And so we leave hostility out of the question by inviting curiosity into the space. As soon as you invite curiosity, hostility really doesn't have any place there at all. And so we invite inquiry and curiosity and how did you get there? These are the questions that we need to ask ourselves. Um, I like to refer to uh, Christopher as curiouser and curiouser, right? That's how he brings things. So we now get to uh, the third reading, which is actually the second one in, um, by C. Joy Bell C., whose uh, quotes and ideas get a lot of play on Goodreads because she brings these insightful pieces into our world. Like you read something, you go, oh, right? She has a perspective that is very, very helpful. Um, so the reading that she offered, or that we offered that Anne shared, is the only way that we can live is if we grow. Right? We can't, and it may not so much be growth as change. We have to change um, because growth is dependent upon change. And if we stop changing, we're dead, right? Like if your cells stop renewing themselves and you stop taking food in, you die, right? So we, the only way we can live is if we grow and we can only grow if we change, right? And then the only way we can change is if we learn. If we don't learn anything, we, we what's that word, fossilize? That's not what I'm thinking Stagnate, very good word, we stagnate. We don't see the opportunities in front of us, and we just stay in one place. And the only place we can learn is if we are exposed, exposed to other perspectives, exposed to other thoughts, exposed to someone else's truth beyond our own. Because our, our first impulse is to understand someone else's understanding. We already know what ours is, so when we're in a group, our first impulse should be to find out what other people think of things. So what's your thought about that? And what is it that you have to add? Nothing? Okay, that's fine. Um, we, want, we have to be curiouser and curiouser, like Christopher, or we don't grow. 
And then the question uh, that, that we ask next is, well, how do you do that? How do you expose yourself? And C. Joy Bell C. says, you've got to throw yourself out into the open. Go ahead and throw yourself. Sometimes we're so... The word afraid is too strong, I think, but we're so concerned that we may be losing ground or we may not be understood or we may uh, be threatened if someone challenges something that we say. So we sit in silence. Uh, We live in our relationships exactly the same way as we did the day before because what if I said that to him? You know, what would he do if I said that to him? And we don't want to risk that. So we don't say it. So our relationships don't grow. They don't develop. Uh, They don't find that ground of solidity because we don't tell each other the truth. We don't throw ourselves into the open, throw ourselves out there in a way that allows a different response, that invites a different perspective, that tells us, yes, you can change and you won't die doing it. You can change. So I'm going to read to you a a section from The History of Love by Nicole Krauss, and I find this uh, charming and compelling at the same time. And this is about how we talk to one another when we're together, even if there's just two people together, how we talk to one another. So many words get lost. They leave the mouth and lose their courage, wandering aimlessly until they are swept into the gutter like dead leaves. On rainy days, you can hear their chorus rushing past. I was a beautiful girl. Please don't go. I, too, believe my body is made of glass. I've never loved anyone. I think of myself as funny. Forgive me. There was a time when it wasn't uncommon to use a piece of string to guide words that otherwise might falter on the way to their destinations. Shy people carried a little bunch of string in their pockets, but people considered loudmouths had no less need for it since those used to being overheard by everyone were often at a loss for how to make themselves heard by someone. The physical distance between two people using a string was often small, Sometimes the smaller the distance, the greater the need for the string. The practice of attaching cups to the ends of strings came much later. Some say it is related to the irrepressible urge to press shells to our ears, to hear the still-surviving echo of the world's first expression. Others say it was started by a man who held the end of a string that was unraveled across the ocean by a girl who left for America. When the world grew bigger and there wasn't enough string to keep the things people wanted to say from disappearing into the vastness, the telephone was invented. Sometimes no length of string is long enough to say the thing that needs to be said. In such cases, all the string can do in whatever its form is conduct a person's silence. I don't think that it's a coincidence 
that last November we created a sculpture of light using string. I don't think it's a coincidence that many of us walk around with string bracelets on our wrists that were handed out last December on the longest night. I don't think it's a coincidence that those who actually felt that they could tell their story in this place were able to do it because they had made those connections, maybe without string, but they had made connections that would allow their words to be heard truthfully and clearly. And I don't think it's a coincidence that many people didn't say anything on Tuesday night. But I'm inviting you to think of that tradition, to find a piece of string and put it in your pocket. And remind yourself of the truths that you need to tell one another. Not just about this place and what our future may or may not be, but about your relationships, about your fears, about the change that's coming that you're not yet ready for, about the world that in its fragility uh, we have to hold. And you don't want to tell somebody that you think that they're not taking that seriously. I want you to talk about the stories your parents told you before those stories are gone when you are. I want you to reach out with those stories and create space in someone else's heart to hold another story, your own. And I want you to reach out so that you can take someone else's string and hang on to it. Hang on to it with your life. Because they're offering you theirs. And theirs is a gift. And to hand it to anyone takes courage. To hold it is a privilege. I want you to keep talking. And I want you to be honest. Sometimes, I used to have this thing on my uh, kitchen door frame that said, people who are brutally honest get more out of the brutality than they do out of the honesty. And I kind of think that. But I want you to be as clear and honest as you possibly can. Not just here, but everywhere. And if you can't be heard, trust the string and find another way.
my mind has been changed by way more than one person in this room. Many of you have helped me see the world in a different way, have challenged me uh, when I have felt compelled to a particular uh, perspective and not wanted to shift wise, though I think I am. And many of you have learned from the people in this place, have heard their words touch your heart and shift and change things. And many of you, too, have learned much from those beyond this place whose truths have found their way into your understanding or perspective of the world. But you, each one of you, goes out into a world carrying those stories and those truths that are embedded in your frame. You carry them out to a world that doesn't know them, to relations that don't know them, to friends that you meet with every other Tuesday who don't know them. So I invite you to practice. Practice sharing your perspective on the world, on life, on age, on schools, on French or English, on anything. Share your perspective. And I hope that when you do, you see those shifts take place that work to make this world a better place. And it will have started with you. Go from this place in peace. Listening to a podcast from West Hill United Church located in Scarborough, Ontario, Canada. These podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our listeners, volunteers, and members of our community. To donate, go to our website, www.westhill.net, and click on the Canada Helps button, or go to www.westhill.net forward slash donate.